boom, there it is, ladies and gentlemen, retirement. You know, everybody thinks that it's an age problem. It happens when you turn 60 or 65. I'm here to tell you retirement is not an age problem. It's a cash flow problem. And if you want to pro solve that problem as soon as possible, then this episode's for you. Let's get this one on the road. Here we go. Shut up and sit down. Look, a business can give you everything you want in life. Prestige, wealth, freedom. It can also take everything away from you. This show is for those who are willing to take that risk. These are the real life stories of entrepreneurs. But before we start, I have one small favor to ask. Please leave a comment. It can be advice, critiques, tips, feedback, or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency. So thank you. And welcome to another episode of Business Boss. All right, ladies and gents, today we're talking about the importance of financial planning for retirement. Our guest is an expert in helping people nearing retirement, uh, nearing retirement age navigate the uncertainty and financial demands of this pivotal phase. With a clear roadmap and experienced financial advisors, they provide guidance on structuring, spending, and saving to support retirement timelines and future goals. Whether you're looking to balance your finances for the high, highest quality of life now or later, or trying to navigate the now with clarity and confidence in the future, our guests can help provide the tools and knowledge to help. So let's welcome to the show the one and only Mr. Jeff Brenny. <laughs> Welcome to the program, Hello. my friend. How you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today. All right, let me ask you the question. I started the show by saying uh, retirement is not an age problem. It's a cash flow problem. So uh, one of the things that I love to ask as far as my guests are concerned is if you could explain what you do to a fifth grader, um, what is it that you do? And what do you think of that, uh, that intro line? Okay, perfect. So if I was talking to a fifth grader, I would first of all say I help people figure out, first of all, what makes them happy? You know, what, what makes you happy? What, what gives you meaning? And then I help them arrange their resources, their financial affairs and their other resources, both human capital as well as financial resources so that they can go do the things that make them happy. So get their actions and resources in alignment with what makes them happy. It's funny you say that because uh, when people think of financial planning, they don't think about what makes them happy. Usually when they think of their finances, or those are the things that don't make them happy, right? They think <laughs> about how much month they have at the end of their money. Uh, right. They're worried about, you know, am I going to have enough to put food on the table? Especially like I went to the, the grocery store the other day and I bought an 18 pack of eggs for like $11 <laughs> as we have an inflationary yeah. period. Right. People are freaking out, uh, right. you know, like. I, what, what do you do when people are trying to, you're trying to help them figure out what's happy, but at the same time, they're going through life kind of struggling. Well, obviously uh, you've got to have income to pay these rising expenses. So I think the thing you said in the intro was so important. It is a cash flow problem, but it's not just a cash flow problem. It's a rising income problem because if history is any guide, our, our costs are going to go up. And we've certainly experienced that more recently than uh, than we have in, in, in recent years. But at any rate, uh, so the key, I believe, is getting clear on what matters most and then figuring out how much what are the resources required to give you 
the freedom to go do what really matters most. So it's, I, I think our industry gets in, um, gets it backwards. Sometimes we start talking about all the potential solutions before we uncover what really matters. So what I've tried to do is marry both in my book and other resources, uh, this deep discovery about what really matters and then put in the financial planning and the techniques and the solutions that can give you the rising income stream to meet those, meet those goals. Every financial planner, I think, is is almost a blessing when it's the first time that you talk to somebody. I was uh, I was about 18, 19 years old, and uh, the only thing I knew about money growing up was that we didn't have any, right? And so <laughs> my dad knew, gave us kind of a heads up. He brought this lady to come in and talk to us. You know, Again, I was like 18, 19 years old. My brother was about 18 years old, somewhere around there. Uh, and she sat down with us, and she was like, what do you guys want to do? Right. Just like how you're describing what makes you happy. We're like, you know what? We want to move out. We're thinking about getting an apartment. We're, we'll rent the rooms out. We'll be good to go. She, you know, after she looked at our, our bank statements and kind of walked us through what a budget would look like, she gave us like one little piece of advice that drastically changed her mind. She said, instead of renting an apartment, why don't you guys buy a house and rent out the rooms? And that kind of was one of those things like, I'm 18 years old. Who's going to sell a house to a 18, 19 year old kid? She said, take step number one, take step number two, take step number three. And when I was 20 years old, we bought our first house. And that was like one of the most influential things yeah. that a financial advisor ever gave to me. Um, tell me about who's your ideal client. Who are the people that you're looking for to talk to, to kind of guide them through these steps? Well, the, the book I wrote and the, the money and meaning journey, um, is the hero in the book is largely our typical client, which is the mid to late career business person uh, who has is struggling to figure out what's next. Uh, so we 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 go to the uh, you know we we go backstage and we plan the second act of our life, and so my typical client are, are these individuals that have played. Uh, the first act beautifully and, and a great performance in the first act. And now they're trying to strategize how do we make the second act the best act, actually. Um, and so that's it. So I would say mid to late career executives or business people primarily. Uh, although, I mean, you know, I think our perspective, my perspective has changed a lot about, um, you know, our careers, because I think, as you mentioned before, it's not an age problem. I mean, there's certainly nothing wrong with taking some of your leisure time earlier in life, long as you create um, the income streams that can help you finance that. But long answer to your question, is this mid to late career business professional is my hero uh, who faces a lot of challenges today as they move into the second act. Tell me some of those challenges, because I feel like uh, there, there are people in that phase of life that, again, are just going through life. They don't quite realize some of the challenges that they might be facing here in their new future until they start hitting that age, until they cross that 45-year-old marker, they hit that 50-year-old marker, and all of a sudden, they're like, do I want to keep working this hard, um, and what does my exit strategy look like? What are some of the problems that your hero was facing? Well, the, the first ones are psychological. Uh, because we have, we've worn this uniform for 30 years and our whole identity is made up in being an executive vice president or a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. And so th the first one is psychological in 
um, transitioning to the, and enjoying who you are separate from what you do. I mean, because I think we're all, and this I'm guilty as the next person is I think we oftentimes get wrapped up in what we do. So the first challenge I think is psychological in what gives me meaning when I'm no longer doing what I used to do um, professionally. But the financial challenges are, there are several. I mean, the first one doesn't sound like a challenge, in, but, it, but it is, and that is we're living longer. So we, you know, we're retiring younger and living longer. So we've got much longer period of time that we're going to need this income stream. The second one I already talked about is cost of living goes up every year. So we need rising income to meet rising cost. Uh, a third one is expected returns may be lower in the future than they've been in the recent past. And that's because yields are low. So yields on fixed income securities, although they've gone up recently, they're still historically low. Uh, and yield on uh, businesses, I mean, uh, earnings growth, earnings yield is lower. So we're entering this long period of time where we've got uh, rising costs, but the expected returns could be lower. Uh, you know, you've heard a lot about healthcare costs. I mean, we've, we're facing higher and higher levels of healthcare cost. And then the final one, I guess, is, you know, concerns about the third leg of the sort of three-legged stool, which is government programs. I mean, are they going to be able to provide the promises that they provided past generations in terms of Social Security and Medicare and things of that nature? So there's there are a number there are a number of headwinds. And then the last one, I guess, is um, we're in a defined contribution world, meaning we have to manage our own resources. We don't have pensions like maybe our parents or grandparents had. So we don't have guaranteed income provided by an institution. So we've got a lump sum of capital that we've got to manage wisely to provide this rising income stream over a 30 plus year period. And we're not very well equipped for it um, as human beings, because we make a series of um, decisions that are not always in our best interest because uh, of behavioral, uh, I don't want to call them mistakes because we make them because we're normal, but we want to invest in such a way that we can fund this rising income stream, but we've got to manage ourselves and we don't want to make these behavioral uh, decisions that, that don't serve us well. So yeah, we still there's, there's, we still want to enjoy life. Yeah, there's a lot there. We'll we'll unpack it because you you essentially you want to enjoy life as well as you're putting away for this retirement. And those kind of sometimes those decisions uh, counteract each other. Uh, we'll we'll say. Let's start with the first one you said, uh, an identity shift. Right, this is one of the main problems that people have um, separating themselves from what they do and who they are and who they want to be in retirement. Right. What are some of the things that you notice uh, that that your maybe your hero did in the book to kind of identify his identity and then break away from that. Well, I mean, I think I think this requires introspection. I mean, we're all created uniquely by a creator, I believe, and with a with a purpose and with gifts, uh, regardless of you know the the, the uniform. So I think. Uh, the, the healthy thing is to go deep about what really matters and who am I and what is my why? I mean, you, you know, Simon Sinek wrote a book and, you know, had a, had a, um, 
you know, a TED talk that went viral about really understanding your why, but it's also just understanding who you are and what you care about and, you know, what gives you meaning. Um, so I think at the end of the day, it's really about taking the time because I think um, many of us, me included, you know, we get into a pattern uh, and we don't take the space, the time. Uh, so I guess my first uh, counsel is to, you know, go to the woods and sort of figure out what really matters. Uh, and then from that, you can hopefully live a life that's fulfilling and meaningful regardless of the context, because you'll get to pick the context. Um, so that, I think, is the first thing. What about living longer? So, I mean, there's there's one thing that just the fact that we have more, many more years of life, but sometimes those extra years of life aren't in the best health possible, right? So things that we consider today, we're not really considering later on. Things like long-term care, for example, the cost of some of these uh, some of these services that are available to us, we need to kind of have a plan in place for those. So when you talk about living longer, um, what are some of those hiccups and solutions that that clients might have to think about? Well, I mean, clearly, uh, risk management is really important, and that's a risk. A risk is that you're going to need someone to help you later in life. And so, um, you know, good financial planning, you have to protect against things that can go wrong before you have the luxury of investing for things that you hope go right. And you've got to analyze a whole myriad of risks. So, you know, as you're young in your career and you're raising a family, you know, premature death is a significant risk. So you've got to have life insurance or, or adequate assets to provide an income to people that you care and you and you love that need your income. But as you age, that's not as big a concern. A bigger concern is obviously having someone or assistance if you need it, because the cost of, uh, you know, long-term care is incredibly expensive. Now, there are government programs. There is there is, you know, uh, Medicaid for people that uh, don't have any assets. Um, but uh, you've got to plan on these things, you know, obviously way in advance. You can't wait till you need it to buy it. Like all insurance, uh, you've got to evaluate the risk and then put the strategies in place a long time before you need it. And it's like homeowner's insurance. I mean, you pay your premium every year and you hope you never need it. Um, but it gives you the peace of mind if you do. And, you know, the, the, the good news about long-term care in particular, um, you know, many, many years ago, these products were not particularly good and they were a little bit, um, um, you know, aggressive in the way they were sold to the senior population. Well, the industry has cleaned up a lot and there's some viable products that if you want to transfer some portion of that risk to an insurance company, you can. Um, more lately, over the last 10 years or so, the life insurance industry has stepped in and said, look, a lot of these people that used to buy permanent life insurance no longer need the permanent life insurance. And so now there are hybrid products where you could take old whole life or universal life policies that you no longer need for survivor needs and convert them to products that have long-term care benefits. So there's there are potential solutions out there, but clearly you've got to do the work up front to figure out, you know, what the, what's the risk and how, what are my, what are my options for uh, mitigating that risk? But let me, let me say, first of all, we don't live in a risk-free world. I mean, there are 
there, there, there is everything has risk, and we just have to evaluate the trade-offs and determine again, you know, what risk we can we can absorb and what risk we need to transfer to you know another organization like insurance. The uh, speaking of mitigating risk, I mean, the next thing you have on it is expected returns. And sometimes mitigating risk is one of those things that you're going to want to utilize. Some of these insurance carriers that offer some of those additional riders for long term care are vitally important in part of your overall financial planning. It's not just putting the money or your nest egg in the market and expecting, you know, that hypothetical return that almost every financial planner is going to give you with an illustration. Uh, but it's hypothetical. Like we're going through markets right now. If you were if if you were going to retire today, it's probably uh, not a significant uh, or bigger a bigger significant hit to your portfolio than it was you know two years ago when the markets were were really bullish. Uh, so when you're managing some of these expected returns, what does that look like for a client? Is it a hybrid of insurance products? Is it a hybrid of products that are going into the market, rental real estate? How are you looking to diversify a portfolio usually when you're thinking about uh, these expected returns? Yeah, I, I think the first thing I would say is as you are modeling out what you may need and modeling out what your portfolio might provide, the first thing I would caution is is you can't just extrapolate the past. And that's a big problem in our industry or in some of the software that you can you can use. It takes past data in terms of returns and just extrapolates them forward. And that's very dangerous uh, because as you know, over the last 30 years, I mean, we had a 30 year period of generally declining interest rates, um, which was great for fixed income investments. Um, and we've also had a 10 year period where we've had incredibly accommodative monetary policy we're had, where we've had uh, really low interest rates, uh, which provided uh, a tailwind to financial assets. Um, and we don't have that now. We don't have accommodative monetary policy um, and, and we don't have a tailwind of declining rates on fixed income. So extrapolating past returns is really dangerous. So you really need to take a look at uh, forecasted returns based on valuations and profits and, you know, and interest rates. So you, you've, you've, you've got to do that. Uh, in terms of how you actually structure the strategies, I mean, everybody's got an opinion. Um, and, you know, so we I believe that, you know, uh, historically being a shareholder in the world's great businesses, uh, is has historically proven to be um, a good way to create a rising income stream. You know, the mistake that many investors make is they think about yield. I mean, so as I move into retirement, I need high yield. Well, the, the problem with that is if all you do is look at yield in a low yield world, you know, you may not have enough income to meet the expenses that you have. The other challenge with reaching for yield is the reason you get higher yield is because you take more risk. I mean, there's no free lunch. And so I would caution investors who are moving into retirement from just focusing on, on yield. I think what you need to do or what would be wiser to do is focus on total return, which could be profits in companies as well as yield on bond or yield on, on you know, certificates of deposits or savings accounts and so forth. So you've got to take more of a, I guess more of a holistic view. Um, and again, I, I believe that being a shareholder in the world's great businesses is, is you know, has historically proven to be 
a good way to provide a rising income stream with some portion of your capital. But you do have to be aware of the day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year volatility, and can you stick with it? So as you build the strategy, you've got to determine, A, what return do I need to meet my goals? And that might drive you to an investment policy. In other words, how much is in equity-based investments and how much is in fixed income investments? Um, The second thing is how much uncertainty can you take and stay in the strategy that's your your tolerance for risk, I guess. And the th- the third is your capacity for risk. I mean, if you've got, you know, if you've got a a job that has very er- uncertain income, you might not have the capacity to take as much risk as someone who's got a career that has very steady income and you know pretty much guaranteed employment for a number of years, and and you don't have some of those risks. So, need ability to take risk or your tolerance, and then thirdly your uh, your capacity to take risk. The final thing I'll say is you mentioned about insurance products and guaranteed income solutions, and they can be viable for some people. You just have to, I think you have to go into them with some caution um, because I think, um, in my opinion, a lot of the products have been developed because that's what people want. People want rising income stream with no risk, and market-like returns. Well, you can't get all of that. There's no, there's, there's risk and cost. And so I would just caution investors from, uh, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. I mean, one of the things I say is, you know, if you look at one of these guaranteed income insurance products and the prospectus is 350 pages long, which often they are because of the formulas that they use, I, I would be cautious, I guess I would say. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm passionate about uh, being a shareholder in the world's great businesses because historically they've proven to be a good source of rising income stream. But again, you've got to be able to tolerate the uncertainty and have a good mix of both you know, uh, equity-linked investments that can give you the rising income stream, but also the defensive investments. The last thing you said was about real estate, uh, income real estate, or businesses. I mean, clearly... Um, income real estate is just another equity investment. You own the property. And so owning good properties is uh, a good way to create rising income stream. Owning businesses is a good way to create rising income streams. Now they have more risk. That's why they have higher expected returns. Uh, as you know, you know, most small businesses fail. So you've got to be, you know, you, you've just got to understand the risk and the opportunities. But clearly, uh, if you're uh, if you're trying to create a rising income stream, being a shareholder in the world's great businesses or own income real estate or own a business that that has pricing power over time and creates value in the marketplace. These can all be part of the potential solutions. That was a lot, but truth of the matter is that's the variety that's out there, right? There's different avenues, different roads that we can take to reach that uh, that financial goal that we're looking for. It's tax time right now, and uh, I was talking over with the students, kind of giving them an idea of how this tax structure works. And as you're as you're talking about the different uh, revenue streams or different investment strategies that you're going through, they all have different types of tax implications. And one thing that I love to talk to my students about is the difference between earned income, uh, you know, things like capital gains versus uh, borrowing money against uh, maybe insurance policies or, or different uh, assets that you already have. Um, when it comes to tax time, 
we're now in a situation where I can see in the for in the future here tax rates are obviously going up, not so much coming down. How does that affect when I'm when I'm planning for tax when I'm planning for retirement, uh, knowing which direction taxes are going to go in if you're already at a low rate today? Yeah, well, I mean, those are really important considerations in a in a lower expected return world. Cost and taxes make a bigger difference. You know, if we've got lower returns and the cost of the investments, uh, you know, can eat in the return, but also the taxes can eat in the return. So it so the return, the return that matters is the real return after taxes, after inflation and after cost. So managing taxes is a huge consideration, both as you're accumulating wealth, but also as you distribute wealth. So as you're accumulating wealth, um, you know, I mean, no one has a crystal ball. Uh, you know, trying to predict what Congress is going to do and the tax policy uh, writers are going to do is about as dangerous as trying to tie markets and try to make short-term forecasts on the markets. But if you look at the size of our government debt and you look at the things that we have to pay for, I mean, it's it's easy to be pessimistic uh, thinking that rates are likely to be higher in the future and tax liability, tax burden could be higher in the future, which has a whole lot of implications for economic growth, but also for you personally. And so if you're a young person accumulating wealth, you know, it certainly makes Roth IRAs a whole lot more attractive than traditional IRAs. And the math on that's not complicated. I mean, if you're in a lower bracket today, then you're going to be when you distribute the capital, either in retirement or later, you know, you'd want to do a Roth IRA because you're not getting a tax deduction, but you're getting tax deferred growth and tax free growth if you own it at least five years into age 60. Um, and then you can then it comes out tax free. If you're in a high income year this year or you sold a business, you know, doing deductible uh, might be better, even if rates go up, because if you're in the maximum bracket today, Rates may go up in the future, but your rate may not go up in the future. So you have to think about, about those kinds of things. In terms of your investment portfolio, I mean, it's really, uh, in having a well-diversified portfolio, I mean, you're going to have probably uh, stocks, you're going to have bonds, you're going to have real estate, you might have some alternative investments or commodities or other things too. But generally speaking, as you build your portfolio, I would encourage investors to think about their portfolio sort of globally across accounts and try to diversify the strategy. So you'll have some things in tax deferred uh, that are taxable when it comes out that were deductible when it went in, like traditional IRAs or 401ks. You'll have some that's non-deductible going in, tax-free coming out, like Roth IRAs. Uh, if you have a high deductible health plan at work, a health savings account is in is a great vehicle because it's deductible going in, tax deferred while it's in the health savings account, and it's tax free when it comes out if it's used for this higher um, you know healthcare cost that we talked about in the future. So the key as you're building wealth is be thoughtful about Roth versus traditional uh, IRAs and 401ks, but also diversify your tax strategies. And then the final thing I'll say about the investments is as you build this global holistic portfolio and you have some that are tax deferred and some that are tax free and some that are taxable, you would want to increase your holdings in the tax sheltered umbrellas with those asset classes that are the least tax efficient. 
So for instance, if you're going to have global real estate securities in your portfolio, those have high dividends. They have high ordinary income. So those are good things to own inside your sheltered accounts. Whereas if you own U.S. stocks in an index fund or a fairly tax efficient strategy, you would likely want to own that in your taxable accounts. So look at your total portfolio sort of globally and build your asset allocation globally, but stuff the sheltered accounts with those asset classes that are the least tax efficient and the taxable accounts with those asset classes that are the most tax efficient. And then as you manage the taxable account going forward, you know, you would do some tax loss harvesting if there's an opportunity. If you're in a low income year, you would do uh, tax gain harvesting because actually we have 0% capital gains rates in the lowest tax bracket. So you can harvest gains at a 0% rate if you're in the lowest. If you're making charitable gifts, uh, best to do that out of your taxable account using low basis security. So if you give $10,000 a year to the Humane Society or your church, don't give them cash, give them stocks or a mutual fund that you own that has high gains, and then take that cash that you were going to give them and put them in the portfolio and raise the basis. And so you can, you can do things like that as you go forward in the portfolio as well. As you approach retirement, I'm, I know I'm going on long here, but if you as you approach retirement, from the time you retire to now age 73, you've got a wonderful time to fill up lower brackets because you're not forced to take money out of IRAs yet. So you may be spending $100,000 a year in income spending from your non-qualified assets and still be in a really low tax bracket from age 60 to age 73 because you don't have to take your IRA distributions yet. So that's a great time to fill up the lower brackets with things like Roth conversions. Uh, and then when you turn 73 and you have to take money out of the, out of the IRAs, uh, that's when you would switch and start doing what I call qualified charitable distributions. Uh, anything you give to charity after 73 is best done out of the IRAs. So that's a whole lot of stuff there, but uh, those are just some, some thoughts. Yeah, tons of different strategies, but that's just, again, that's the way it works, right? I mean, you're right. There's right. a huge gap. That's where you can compound stuff. That's where the strategies played right before you have to take your RMDs when you hit that 73 years and with life expectancy going as long as we have, you want to make sure you end up doing the right way, spend taking that money out the right way to avoid uh, as much tax going in, in the direction you want to go in. Uh, you're an author. Right. You wrote a book. You literally, you clearly have a, a huge knowledge base um, how can we get the, the book itself? What's, what are we going to find in there? Yeah. So, you know, I've had this book in my head for, for quite a while, but what I tried to do is write a fairly simple book. It's, it's, uh, it's about 250 pages, I believe, and a fairly quick read. And I've combined three, there's really three sections to the book. The first, and it speaks to this hero, this mid to late career individual who's kind of strategizing what's next. And the first third of the book is really about some of these psychological and financial challenges that we face as we move into act two and um, kind of walks through some of the challenges, both psychological and financial, and also talks about potentially ways that you might find some help. The middle part of the book is a workshop that I used to do called the Money and Meaning Experience. And it basically helps you kind of go deep and figure out who are you and what you care about. So, you know, what is your why? you know, so you're sort of your core, um, helps you figure out 
your capacity. In other words, how do you figure out how much is enough and how do you create the time margin to go do the things you want to do? And then thirdly, it talks about your context. In other words, what are you going to do in the second act that gives you meaning? So the third part is a workshop that I, the middle part, I'm sorry, uh, the middle three chapters are, are a workshop that I used to do um, this money and meaning experience. And then the final half of the book, which is the third part, is really the wealth management uh, strategy. So it's risk management, it's estate planning, it's tax, it's evidence-based investing, it's, um, you know, talks about behavioral investing and things like that. And so the goal was really just to encourage people uh, to think deeper about what's next and a process to help them get their actions and resources in alignment with what truly matters. And then a survey of some of the wealth management things that you need to be talking about or thinking about. Uh, you can get the book, uh, all the major online retailers, uh, but also at jeffbernierauthor.com. You can learn more about the book and more about me and kind of what's it about and, and, um, and, and some additional bonus material. If you decide to buy the book, that's, that's there might be, might be useful. Perfect. Well, Jeff, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Again, so much information, ladies and gents. I'm telling you right now, if you think you have a basic idea of your finances, you've just begun to scrape the surface. There's so many different avenues, so many different things to think about. And I really suggest you go check out his book. You guys can find it. at and Literally, the website is his name, author. So jeffbernierauthor.com, jeffbernierauthor.com. Uh, get a copy, start reading, learn a little bit about what you got. Again, depends on where you are in life, but if you're anywhere between 18 and 73, you got time to figure this stuff out. So you guys might as well get that book and get started. Jeff, thank you very much for being on the program today. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. And we're Thanks out. so much. It's over. Go home. Is your business in need of marketing? Try starting a podcast, but not just any podcast. Podcast like a pro. We can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust. Go to www.businessbros.biz to get started today.